Today's narrative is about Joseph. Here is a guy that went from a prison cell, if you stop and think about this, to the number two man in all the kingdom. Have you ever said, you know, if I were God, I would do everything differently. I mean, I know how to run things. I'm, I would be much better at it than God. First of all, we're going to get rid of the mosquito. Can't see a good reason for the mosquito. Well, just because you don't know the reason doesn't mean there isn't one. You are not omniscient God. You don't see the upper story. You're living the lower story. And because of that, we often get it wrong. We think we know better than God. We got our whole life laid out in front of us from point A to point B, ultimately heaven. And we say, God, it should go like this. I should have a wonderful childhood, no hurts, no pains. And God, then I should get a great education and then get married and have 2.5 kids and then have the wonderful house in the suburbs, get a great job, make lots of money, retire and die and comfortably go on to be with you for eternity. See, that's our plan. <laughs> that's not the upper that's not the upper story that God has planned for you. Look at the life of Joseph. Yeah, those teen years may have gone well. But you know what? He was a spoiled brat when you stop and think about it. God had a whole lot of straighten out of Joseph to get him to where he was usable. God's going to use him, but he's a long way from being used at this point. We've been going through the major narratives of the Bible. And we saw Adam's story. His narrative was basically this. God gives you free will and you can make your own choices, but there will be consequences. And then God's narrative about Abraham. Abraham... I'm going to make a great nation out of you if you have faith. And now we come to today's narrative. It's not going to do any good at all to have a great nation if they end up dying in a famine, right? And God sees the future, and God knows what's going to happen, so he has to raise up a Joseph. But Joseph doesn't know that. Joseph doesn't know he's going to be the one that saves his family. Why? He's down here living the lower story like the rest of us, right? But God gives him dreams early on. And, he, and he's starting to get the big picture, but it hasn't all come together yet. And he's got a lot of maturing and growing up to do. Let's make sure we got the genealogies right. Just for, for quickly, go with me. We got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've heard us talk about those three in the past, right? Abraham, you know, he marries uh, Sarah. They have a son named Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca. Um, they have two children, Esau and Jacob. We're interested in Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids. There they are, starting in order with Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. It's those last two that we're interested in, especially today. They come from the same mom. You remember, Joseph had several wives and a number of porcupines, I mean concubines. It was a weird system in the Old Testament, but God winked at those things at one time, but no more guys, all right? And so we get down to Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is our man. Genesis 37.1, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. Joseph, a young man of 17, he's 17 years old when we meet him. When his brothers meet up with him again to buy grain in Egypt, he'll be 39 years old. He's just a boy, he's a teen, spoiled brat teen, but a teen's just the same. 
He was tending flocks with his brothers, and he brought their father a bad report about them. He was a tattletale. Joseph, you've got to understand, was the favorite son of his father. And so he got all the best jobs. You know, I see all the brothers doing the heavy lifting, and what's Joseph walking around doing? He's got a clipboard taking notes on all the things his brothers are doing wrong. Nobody loves a tattletale. And these brothers, mm, they're getting fed up with Joseph. Now verse 3, Israel, who's Israel? That's Jacob. Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a rich ornamented robe for him. Check this thing out. A coat of many colors, one version says. And don't you know that that punky little Joseph wore that coat every single day? And he flaunted it in front of his brothers. A coat that should have been for special occasions. He is wearing every single day. The brothers know he's favored. And when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than them, he hated him, and they could not speak a kind word for him. Let me give you a lower story application, parents. I am hearing some real feedback. I don't know if you can fix that, Ron. Lower, maybe it's these monitors up here. I'm not sure. The lower story application is this. If you're a parent you've got more than one child, don't you dare show favoritism. You may have a favorite. Keep it in your heart, okay? Just nothing good can come from it. This story is a good example of that. Now, if you only have one child like Jan and I did, we, you could tell that child, Corey, you're our favorite son. <laughs> but if you've got more than one... Word of caution. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, I had a dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Oh, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Joseph had a whole lot of growing up to do. Let's see the next picture. Let's go with that one. He's got a whole lot of growing up to do. Do you intend to reign over us? That's, that will happen. That was the dream. That was God's plan. But Joseph's not ready to reign over anybody. He's just a punky little kid who's spoiled. And God has got to rub off some of those rough edges. You know why your life doesn't go totally smooth and comfortable and no ups and downs? It's because we are all Josephs in the making. We start off kind of rough cut, and God's got to refine us. And the way God refines us is through the trials and tribulations of life. Joseph will reign. Joseph will be usable, but he's not usable yet. God's got to get him in a usable place. Now, if you have such lofty dreams of your brothers or your sisters bowing down to you. Some dreams are best kept to yourself. Amen? Amen? I don't care if it's a dream from God. Some dreams must be kept to yourself. The lower, lower, lower story application. Our story picks up with Jacob, Israel, telling Joseph to go check on your brothers. And so off he goes to Dothan. Dothan is an out-of-the-way place. And while he was yet a long way off, see him out there, hey, bros, coming to check you out. I'm going to go tell Dad what you're doing wrong. Ooh, 
they get so angry, they think, let's kill him. They're fed up to here. And they decide to throw him in a well. But just about that time, some Ishmaelite traders come along, and they think, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding the story. You, if you've read the whole thing, you get that, right? Some Ishmaelite traders come along, and they decide, well, let's just sell him instead of just kill him. We can make some money off of this deal. And so that's exactly what they do. Wasn't it lucky that at just the right time those Ishmaelite traders came by? Yeah, if you spell luck, G-O-D. If you, if you understand the upper story, you know that there's no luck involved at all. If Joseph dies in a well, then the nation doesn't get saved. And if the nation doesn't live on, then Jesus is never born and you and I are still in our sins. We need Joseph. We need to get him out of that well and at just the right time. Sometimes God just takes you all the way to the limit, right? You're in the bottom of a well. You know what I learned about God when you're going through a hard time? He is rarely early, but he is never late. At just the right time, here comes these Ishmaelite traders. He's sold into Potiphar's house. And here is a but God story. Remember I told you Genesis 3.15 begins a but God story? But God was with Joseph. And Potiphar saw that he had administrative skills. This guy was was valuable, and he became the number one slave. But Pharaoh's wife had her eyes on Joseph, and she tries to seduce him. Whoa, we got to fast forward here. He's, he's in Potiphar's house. Next one, there's the old seduction scene. And Joseph says, how can I sin against Potiphar? No. How can I sin against God? And he flees. Sometimes, guys, the best thing to do is just run. And so he's running, you know, through the, the house, <laughs> you know. And, and she's hollering foul. And Potiphar sends Joseph to prison. He sends him to prison. Has Joseph done anything wrong? No. Have you ever been punished for doing what was right? Yeah, we've all experienced that. That's Joseph's story. That's all part of Joseph's training ground. That's all part of knocking the rough edges off of Life's not always fair. And Joseph is going through some real unfairness at this point. But God, next slide, was with Joseph. And you know what he became in prison? He became the number one prisoner in charge of all the other prisoners. And one day, two special prisoners come into the prison. They come from Pharaoh's house. The butler and the baker. And they have dreams. And they go to Joseph and they say, Joseph, can you help us with our dreams? We, we need some interpretation. He says, well, what was your dream? He says, well, I dreamt, this is the butler now, that uh, three clusters of grapes appeared. And I took the king's goblet and I reached up and I squeezed those clusters of grapes into the glass, into the goblet, and I took it and I served the king. And Joseph says, here's the interpretation. In three days, those three clusters represent three days, you will be released from prison, and you will once again go serve at Pharaoh's court. Whoa! Man, don't you know he's excited? Well, the baker's now thinking, okay, here's my dream. I dreamt that I baked three loaves or three baskets of bread for the king, and I put it on my head, and I started to take it to Pharaoh. But on my way, all these birds kept coming and eating up all the bread. 
So what does mine mean? He says, well, in three days, those three baskets represent three days, and in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head off your shoulders and hang it on a tree. Not so good. And that's exactly what happened to both of them. And the last thing Joseph says to the butler as he's leaving prison are, remember me. Remember me when you go before Pharaoh. Remember me. Right, right, Joe. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. And he's out of there. But does he remember Joseph? No, not for a long time. Two long years go by before he remembers Joseph. And then one day the king has a dream. The king dreamed... Seven fat calves came out of the Nile, and they began to graze. And seven lean calves came out of the Nile and gobbled up the seven fat calves, but the lean calves grew no larger. Same kind of a deal, seven uh, gr- uh, good stalks of grain, seven weak stalks gobbled each other up but never became any healthier or stronger. And he, and he sent out the word throughout all the land, whoever interprets my dream will be greatly rewarded, but nobody could interpret it. And then, bingo, just like that. The butler remembered Joseph. I don't think that was an accident. Why didn't God have him remember two years earlier? Joseph wasn't ready yet. He wasn't ready for leadership. Now, that may seem harsh to spend two more years in a prison cell, even though God's hands on you. But Joseph's growing during those two years. He developed a relationship with God during those prison time, didn't he? He developed some leadership skills, some administrative skills under Potiphar and as the number one prisoner in charge of everybody else. God is preparing him through the tough times to get to the great times, the the big picture, the dream for his life. And the butler says, Pharaoh, I think I've got the answer to your problem. There's a man, but he is in prison. His name is Joseph, and they send for Joseph. And can you imagine what that must have been like for Joseph? Just 24 hours earlier, he's rotting in a prison cell, and all of a sudden you can hear the the prison door, the key go in, the jangling of the lock, the door creaking open. Joseph is on the ground. The sunlight hits him in the face. And the prison guard says, get up. You're going to see Pharaoh. Whoa. His life's about to change big time. They clean him all up, put on some clothes. You know, you want to be presentable before the, the head of the land, right? And he goes before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream. He says, Pharaoh, those seven fat calves represent seven prosperous prosperous years. Seven years of plenty will there be grain in Egypt. And those seven lean calves, seven years of famine like you've never seen. You're going to have prosperity like you've never seen and you're going to have famine like you've never seen. And Pharaoh says, well, what do you think should be done about this? And Joseph says, well, if I were you, I would get the wisest person in the land and figure out a plan to store up during the seven years of plenty so there will be plenty to go around during the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, I can't think of anyone wiser than you, Joseph. You're it. 
You're the man. Where was Joseph just 24 hours earlier? Rotten away in a prison cell. Where is he at today? He's the number two man in all of Egypt. Answers to no one but Pharaoh. Some of you are in a well. Some of you feel like a prisoner. Some of you feel like a slave. And God's about to do a whole new thing in your life. He's going to pull you out of that if you hang in. If you endure. And you get bonus points if you endure with a good attitude. Look at the text. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger and the king's own ring. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain. We should have a gold chain there. There it is, around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, Make way, make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And since he's in charge, guess what he does? He orders the big storehouses be built because seven years of plenty are coming and you've got to have a place to put all that grain, right? So when the lean times come, and you know what archaeologists today have found huge, oversized grain houses, storehouses in Egypt, archaeologists have found this, and they go, why, why are these so big? Why are these so massive? We know the rest of the story as Christians, as believers, don't we? We know what that's all about. Archaeology and the Bible go hand in hand. It's a good proof that the Bible is true. Well, guess what? The famine is severe. We're now into the seven years of famine. And it's so bad that it reaches Canaan's land. That's where Joseph's brothers live. That's where Jacob lives. And finally, Jacob says to his Sons, you've got to go to Egypt. I understand there's food there. There's grain there we can buy. Otherwise, we're all going to die. We have no choice. And so they go. And Joseph has a little fun at his brother's expense, I must admit. And you might think Joseph is still being a jerk, but he's not. What I think Joseph is doing is he's trying to find out from his brothers if they have changed. If they are now sincere. And so when they first come to buy grain, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph is very Egyptian-looking now, isn't he? He's not that 17-year-old little punky little brother. He's now a 39-year-old Egyptian leader. And as a matter of fact, he speaks Egyptian. Now, he remembers Hebrew, but he talks to his brothers through an interpreter, and he says, who are you? Where do you come from? He knows exactly who they are. And they tell him, well, is this all of you? Do you have a father? Yes, we have a father. Is he well? He's well. Or do you have any other brothers? Well, yeah, we had a younger brother, Benjamin. He's back home. And he says, I think you're a bunch of spies. And until you go back home and bring Benjamin back here, you're not getting any grain. And to make sure you return, he takes Simeon, one of the brothers, as a captive. So they go home, they tell dad that dad's, oh no, you can't take my youngest son, my only son. See, dad's still doing it, showing favoritism. But dad, we're going to die anyway, either way. Okay, I get your point. So Benjamin goes back. And now Benjamin's there, okay? And uh, he sells some grains. Okay, you're not spies. Good, good, good. 
sells them the grain, packs them up on their, you know, big old grain sacks, and they're heading out of town. And, and one little trick Joseph has up his sleeve to really find out if his brothers have changed is he puts his own personal silver goblet in Benjamin's bag. They don't know it. And sends his soldiers out to stop him and says, why have you stolen from our master? And they go, what are you talking about? We haven't stolen anything. Well, let's just do an inquiry. And he starts digging through the sacks. And when they come to Benjamin's grain sack, guess what they find? That silver goblet. And they're going, oh, how did this happen? How did we get into this mess? So back before Joseph, they go. Now remember, Joseph understands their language. They don't understand his. And they begin to talk in front of one another. And Joseph overhears them saying, Oh, I am sure this evil has come upon us because of what we did to our younger brother, Joseph. Surely that's what this is all about. And they were penitent and they were sorrowful. And Joseph now sees that. But he's not done. He really pushes them. He says, you can leave, but I'm keeping this young one as a slave, my personal slave for what he has done. And they said, oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Our father would die if we return home without Benjamin. Would you take me? And they're all saying, take me as a slave. I'll be a slave. But let the boy go free. Joseph now knows their hearts are changed. You want forgiveness? Have a change of heart. You want God to forgive you? Repent. Tell God you're sorry. And God is eager to forgive. Joseph can't handle it any longer. He begins to weep, and, and he reveals himself to his brothers. That's probably the best picture I have of that, you know, but that's what we got, Genesis 45.3. And he shows himself to his brothers. And uh, not only that, he, he gives them the land of Goshen. What was the land of Goshen? He says... Tell dad, tell the whole family to move here, and I'm going to give you the best land. Pharaoh, I'll talk to Pharaoh, already got his permission. You guys like to graze sheep? Well, you know what? We've got the best property outside of town over here, Fertile Crescent. You're going to love it. And so the family moves to Egypt, 70 in all. And they began to be fruitful and multiply, and they grow and they grow and they grow. And then one day, Jacob dies. Now, guess what the brothers are thinking? Uh-oh. Maybe Joseph was only kind to us because Dad was still alive. And so they kind of... I'm fast-forwarding here because we had a lot to do today. we got a baptism and a corporate meeting. Let me fast-forward real quickly here. They decide to send sort of a last will and testament to Joseph through a letter. And they send that to Joseph. And Joseph begins to read it. And the letter says, Dear Joseph, Dad's dead. And the last thing Dad said to tell you was, just before he died, he said, be kind to your brothers. Doesn't that just sound like, <laughs> like them? Don't harm them. Don't hurt them. Don't do anything bad to them. And you know what? Joseph had no intention of doing that. Joseph's a forgiver. He loved his brother. And the Bible says Joseph began to weep. He began to weep. Joseph does not take revenge. I'm asking the question this morning, why? Why? You've got to know the upper story. 
As a punky 17-year-old kid, he doesn't see it yet. But as he goes from a well to some Ishmaelite traders to a slave to a prison cell to finally Potiphar's house, he's beginning to see this picture come together. You know, one of the reasons why you don't see God in your life, you just haven't lived long enough. It takes a while. It takes a while for God to get us at a usable place. Joseph now sees the upper story where God has been working his purpose within the ups and the downs of his life. And let me tell you something. Here's the lower story application. God was there with you when you were in the well. God was with you there when you felt like a slave. God was with you when you felt like a prisoner and captive. Some of you are going through a hard time this morning. God's with you. That's the message of Joseph. Remember back in Genesis 45.5, he's already told him once, and now do not be distressed. Joseph's not a liar. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me where? Ahead of you. Joseph's got to get there first. This was all part of the plan. God sent me ahead of you. The second thing, the second reason Joseph doesn't take vengeance on his brothers is he realizes that he was God's special agent for this purpose, to save the nation and not condemn it. Joseph was a saver, a, a, a savior, not a condemner. That sounds a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it to you? Jesus is in the saving business, not in the condemning business. We're already condemned. We're already condemned. He's here to save, Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Oh, and I love this question. Am I in the place of God? That's a pretty good question when someone has wronged you to ask yourself. The next time someone wrongs you, ask yourself, am I in the place of God? Because if you want to get on God's throne and play God, guess what you're going to do? Revenge. That's what people that play God do. They play the revenge game. The next time you're wronged, unjustly, remember Joseph. Remember God. Remember the upper story that God's working out in your lower story here on earth. And that will get you through. That'll bring you through. But stay off of God's throne. See the big picture. Verse 20, you intended to harm me. And they did. But God, remember that story of but God, but God, but God. But God intended it for what? Good. Did I get that? Let's see the next verse. Our next slide. Ah, I guess that was it. Here's the big idea. I forget what I put up there sometimes. Well, before I get to the big idea, let me just say this. When you stop and think about it, Joseph is a type of Christ, isn't he? Joseph was sold by his brethren. Jesus was sold by his brethren. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold out for silver. Joseph was a forgiver and a savior of sorts, right? 
Jesus was a forgiver and a savior. There's a real analogy there. The big idea is this. Know that God's storyline is still unfolding even during the bleak and confusing times that we go through in our lower story. Keep that in mind. And yes, there will be people that hurt you. Some will do it intentionally. Look for the upper story and learn to forgive. But they don't deserve forgiveness. Didn't say they did. You don't have to do it for them. Do it for yourself. Do it to be like God. And do it with a great attitude. God will bless you for it. What if Joseph didn't forgive? Want to play what-if games? Let's say Joseph didn't forgive, didn't sell him food. They all went back home and they starved to death. Would Jesus have ever been born? Nope. And if Jesus was never born and didn't go to a cross to die for our sins, guess where we would be, folks? Still in our sins. Do you see how God works through the upper story? How this whole thing from Genesis 3.15 through the book of Revelation is a story of but God, but God, but God. This week's narrative was Joseph. But the narrative continues on in your life. He's using you. He's got a plan for you. Who knows what that's going to be? I know Romans 8.28 is a wonderful passage in the Bible. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But you know that passage is not for everybody. That passage is only for believers. That's a passage for Christians. You've got to be a believer to get in on that promise of God. And you know what? You can become a Christian today. One has already said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm willing to put him on in baptism this morning. There may be others. Let's bow and let's pray to the Lord of heaven and earth right now. Father, thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for that great story of forgiveness because every one of us need it. If you've never entered entered into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, would you do so even this morning? Through faith, repentance, and baptism, say, Jesus, I come to you. Now, if you're already a Christian and the lower story of your life is not going so well, things are not really making sense, would you hang in there a little bit longer? Remember Joseph, in 24 hours his life changed just like that. You may be that close to a breakthrough. Remind yourself daily of God's upper story while enduring the lower story issues of life. Trust that he is working all things to work together for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing to the Lord.